Let's open your Bibles to John chapter 3. And today's part 2. Part 2 of the supremacy of Christ. And I'm here today. Our great pastor is doing a lot of work. He's here. uh, But he's working and I'm filling in for him. And I appreciate you bearing with this sermon. But it's not my words, it's God's word. Amen to that, right? So, last time we talked about John the Baptist baptizing. He had his own followers, and Christ had his followers, his disciples. And so John the Baptist was really famous. Everyone was going to John the Baptist. All the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, people from Judea, from Jerusalem, many, many people were going to John the Baptist in the wilderness to be baptized. This was a big deal. He was a big name. He was the guy. Jesus comes. And we all know Jesus is more important. But at this time, no one knew who Jesus was. So John's disciples are jealous. They realize that many people are going to Jesus to be baptized. And they come to John with the question, or with the statement, they say, hey, everyone's going to this Jesus guy. They're going to him to be baptized. Even though John had already announced to them that he's the one. John had already given them, or Christ, the, 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 the light. He had already shined the light on Christ. He had already pointed to Christ as being the one. But his disciples were still focused on John's ministry. Kind of like Judas was focused on Christ's ministry rather than Christ himself. And so his disciples go to him and they they say, Christ is baptizing. Everyone's going to him. They're upset about it. They're, They're jealous. And John very wisely calms them down and says, a man can't have anything unless it's been given to him. Can you imagine being John's disciples and hearing what John has said? It's almost like a mini sermon. He says, a man, in verse uh, verse 27, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. And that begins John's talk with these disciples. He's correcting their misunderstanding of who Christ is. He's correcting their direction of their focus of worship. John's John's focus was not on himself or his baptism. His focus was on why he was baptizing. He was preaching a baptism of repentance. He was preparing the way for the true king. He says, get ready. The king is coming. But instead, they were focused on the messenger and his message rather than the king, which the message was all about. And then finally, in verse 30, John says the most important words. He says, he, meaning Christ, must increase, but I must decrease. And so John here is saying, look, don't focus on me. Focus on Christ. He's saying your focus has to be on him. Not on me. John's focus was always on Christ. 
So he's correcting their focus, their vision, and what they're thinking about. He's saying it is necessary. That word, he must. It's saying it is necessary. It's absolutely necessary that you focus on him rather than me. Well, today we're going to answer the question, why? Why? And if you have kids and you always hear the word, why? Why? Well, today we're going to answer the question, why? John is going to tell us why. Now, some of you may say, well, is it John the Baptist that's talking here or John the Apostle? And that's a big debate. Well, we say that when I did my study here, it's very obvious to me that it's John the Baptist. Why? Because all of the words that John the Apostle uses when he writes this book, he never transitions without words like, and then he said, or then next, or this person said. He always uses a transition word or phrase when there's a transition. But here we see in verse 30, John the Baptist says, he must increase, but I must decrease. The very next words are, he who comes from above is above all. And then later down it says, he who comes of the earth is of, uh, of, of heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard of that he testifies. And then in verse 33, he who. So we see that he continues to use the pronouns of he. Just like in verse 29, he who has the bride. And then in verse 30, he must. So John the Baptist is continuing his dialogue with his disciples. He's continuing to teach them, why must Christ increase and I must decrease? And that's the beginning of John's speech to his disciples. He said, it is necessary that you focus on Christ. And then he begins in verse 31 talking about the one who is above all. And then in the the remainder of that verse, he talks about the one who is of the earth. And so he starts to separate himself from Christ. John the Baptist is saying he's the one of the earth. He's saying Christ is from above. And that is the beginning of what John is saying. And with with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for John's ministry. We can learn a lot from his focus on you, Lord, and his humbleness. Let all the ears be open here to learn what you have to say to us, Lord. Amen. The one of the earth. The one of the earth. So let's begin with verse 31, and we'll read through verse 36. He who comes from above, is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. 
but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. You see, there's a lot of pronouns of he and he and he. But really, there's a separation between John the Baptist and Christ. John the Baptist and Christ. That's what we must see here. And ask your question. Answer this question when you hear this today. Why is Christ supreme? Why is Christ supreme? You see, it says here in verse 1, he who comes from above is above all, but he who is of the earth is from the earth. What is this one of the earth? The Greek word for earth is gay. And this is opposed to the other word for earth that we usually hear when it talks about the world, the cosmos. This is not the same world. This is the word for the earth, the physical earth, not the world system that Satan rules, but the physical earth. And he's talking about the physical earth here, that the one from the earth is from the physical earth. And this is John the Baptist talking about himself. He's not talking about that uh, he is earthly or that he is a sinful man, which he is sinful man. But he's talking about the fact that where he originates from as being opposed as where Christ originates from. He's saying, I'm but of the earth. I'm from dirt. Does that sound familiar? The dirt, the kids in Adventure Club probably know the answer to that, right? We talked about that in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man of, who can answer that? Dust, dust, dirt from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. You say, man came from dirt. He came from the earth. John is recognizing, I'm just dirt. I'm just from the earth. Earlier he says, I'm just a voice. He says, I'm from dirt. I'm from the earth. He's saying that Christ is different. He's not from dirt. He's not from the earth. He's from above. John is saying his king, his, his rule or his teaching is only from Christ himself. It's only been given by Christ. But his knowledge outside of anything revealed to him from God is nothing. It's just of the earth. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 through 7, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. The Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. John the Baptist only had knowledge and understanding because of what was given to him by God. His message was from God. It wasn't his own message. He says, I'm just from the earth. That's it. Now, in this sermon, we're going to reference many different texts. I pondered over the fact of, man, should I eliminate all these different texts that we have to go to? But I don't want to explain it for myself. I'll let the scripture explain itself. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2.
We'll start at verse 1. And listen to what Paul says here. It's really interesting. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, I didn't come to you with superiority of speech. He was taught by Gamaliel. He was a high rabbi. He says, I didn't hold on to those things, to my education, my PhD, my master's, my bachelor's. He says, I determined to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. You see, even Paul, the great writer of the epistles, his focus was only on Christ. Let's go back to John. And see, in verse 31 here, it says, there's a difference between the one from the earth and the one from above. Let's talk about the one from above, Christ, as opposed to John. Well, if we go back one chapter in John, or two chapters to John chapter 1, and we know this famous verse, and it says this in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning. We see two things here. You see, Christ was with God. Christ is the Word. He was with God in the beginning. What is the beginning? The beginning of what we know as time. We know that he was the one who created all things that came into existence. He was there. He already existed was the second thing. Because in the beginning, Christ was. He was. It says in the beginning was the word. The word was. The word existed. The word was in the Greek means existed. He already existed before time. Before time. Just wrap your minds around that. He existed before time. So in the beginning, the word was. Christ already was with God the Father in a relationship with God the Father and the Spirit, the second person of the Trinity, and he already existed. He was with God in the beginning. This is much different than being from dirt. John the Baptist is saying, wait a minute. He is different than I am. He's not from dirt. And then in chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I always think about his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples. And I think, wow, how is it possible that they didn't recognize the Christ? But I point to us today. How is it possible that we really don't understand who Christ is today? Maybe it's because we're not listening. Maybe it's because we're not paying attention. So in verse 14, it says, The Word, that's Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. He was already preexistent, and then he came in the flesh. God came in the flesh and dwelt among us. Imagine today God was here in the flesh, 
right in front of us. Right in front of us. And John is saying, God became flesh and dwelt among us. He's not ordinary, John is saying. And down in chapter 6, verse 38 of John, Christ says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Christ was on a mission. He says, I've come down from heaven. So many people believe in UFOs today, and they go out searching. Hey, I thought I saw one in the sky. Are we going to have a visitor from Mars? Well, how about the fact that Christ came down from heaven? That's a big deal. John chapter 12, verse 44 through 46 says, and this is Christ's words, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. These are big words. If you believe in me, you believe the one who sent me. No one's ever come from heaven before. Wow. Christ came from heaven. That's amazing. And then in John 16, 28. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. These things aren't things that normal people say. If I said that to you today, I would be in a white jacket wrapped up pretty soon. But Christ wasn't crazy. He's speaking the truth. He's speaking the words of God. He's from God. He is God. These are amazing things. And then back to John chapter 3. Try to keep track here. It says that the one who comes from above is above all. It also says that he who comes from heaven is above all. Above is heaven. Above all. What does that mean exactly? Oh, it just means he's above us. (laughs) What does it really mean? Above all. When Revelation 19, 16, John the Apostle, the one who wrote this same book, calls Christ the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. If you ever have a Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim say that nowhere in the Bible is Jesus ever say he's God, but there's way, way more places in the Bible where it talks about Jesus being God. You cannot deny it. This is one of the places. Revelation 19.16. John the, Api- the Apostle calls him Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Lord of Lords. King of Kings. He's the highest ranking. What's important about this? Obviously, he was talking about Christ. Well, that's a designation only used for God the Father. Because we see in uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 15-16, through 16, Paul says... He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the same language, 
who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. He's not talking about Christ here. He's talking about God, the Father. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Christ is God. Christ is God. John the Baptist is saying that Christ is above all. He's king of king and lord of lords. But I'm just a voice made out of dirt. Big difference. Big difference. Verse 32. What he has seen and heard of that he testifies and no one receives his testimony. He's talking about Christ. What Christ has has seen and heard of that he testifies. Christ's testimony comes from firsthand experience. John's testimony comes from Christ's revelation to John. Big difference. If you go to college, they always talk about, in high school too, they always talk about your sources that you use when you write a paper. We're all familiar with that. What kind of sources do you use? A primary source, a secondary source, or further down the line? Obviously, the primary sources are much better. John the Baptist is saying Christ is the primary source. You can't get any better than that. And John is saying, you know what? I'm down the line. I'm just teaching you what the primary source said. In John 8, 28, it says, I speak the things as the Father taught me. Christ is speaking the words that the Father taught him. When? When he existed before the beginning of time. John 12, 49, the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. The commandment is from the Father. So Jesus speaks the words of God. John 14, 10, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. John 17, 8, for the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. So even Christ is saying, I'm only speaking God's words, and I was sent. But what are John's disciples focused on? That Jesus guy? He's baptizing. Sometimes we can miss the focus, can't we? Just like John's disciples. We don't want to miss the focus. It says that no one receives his testimony. Well, clearly, if no one received his testimony, no one would be saved. It's talking about that the majority of the people, most people did not receive his testimony. It's a comparison to the few that do. And we'll see that next that we're going to talk about the ones that do receive his testimony. In John chapter 3, verse 9, Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus. And he gives the answer to why they did not receive Christ's testimony. 
And he says here, Christ says, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? And this is after Jesus says, You must be born again. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. You do not accept our testimony. And then in chapter 1, the same thing happened. We see John the Apostle talking about people not receiving Christ's testimony. In verse 9 of chapter 1, there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. And this is Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. They did not accept his testimony. They did not receive him. This is Israel we're talking about here. They did not accept his testimony. Because they weren't born again. That's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. And you remember that Nicodemus says, what do you mean born again? I can't go into my mom's womb again. What is born again talking about? Regeneration. Regeneration. That's something that happens from the outside. They weren't born again. They were spiritually blind. They were unregenerate. They were not born again. That's why they didn't accept his testimony. We know that those who are regenerate, who are born again, do accept Christ's testimony. They do receive the gospel, and they act on it. That goes into the next section in verse 33 of chapter 3. He who has received his testimony, has set his seal to this, that God is true. So once again, we have one from the earth and one from heaven. That's John the Baptist and Christ. But now we're talking about receiving the testimony. We're talking a different group of people here. Those who have received the testimony and those that have not. Clearly, John the Baptist received the testimony. So now we're talking about those who do receive his testimony. Those who are like John the Baptist. Those of us here today who are true believers, we do accept his testimony. What does he say about those people? They set their seal to this, that God is true. What is setting the seal? <laughs> it means you're certifying. You're, you're saying this is true. This is a, 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 a true thing. This is a, something that I've made firm. I'm, I'm convicted of it. That this is a true thing. That God is true. Why is he saying that? Because if you accept the words of Christ, Christ speaks the words of God. And if you accept the words of Christ, you're accepting the words of God. So you're saying that what God says is true because you're accepting what Christ has said that God has said. You're setting your seal to the fact that God's words are true. And remember that we read before that Christ says he only speaks the words of the Father. In verse 34, it confirms that. It says, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. He's saying that's why this is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. Christ is speaking the words of God. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I remember when I was a kid, 
I went to a church where there was a lot of screaming and theatrics and not a lot of learning. And I remember the first time I heard a sermon where there was a lot of teaching and I was, wow, that's what God is saying. That's what we're doing here today. We're learning what God has to say about his own word. In Hebrews chapter 1, starting at verse 1, we'll read through verse 3. Listen carefully what this says. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, these last days, has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is Christ who speaks the words of God. He made the world, he says here. He's the radiance of his glory. God has spoken to us through his son. First-hand experience. First source versus second source. John the Baptist is saying, I'm not him. We know earlier, he says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah you've been waiting on. Stop paying attention to me. Stop paying attention to me. How is it that Christ speaks the words of God? We know that he's a man and he's God. He's fully man and fully God. How is it that he speaks the words of God? And we know in the next section of John, chapter 3, gives the answer. For he gives the spirit without measure. That's how. God the Father has given the Son the Spirit without measure. There's no holding back to the amount of Spirit that God has given the the Son. God the Father has given the Son. He's given the Spirit without measure. No limits. Your next question might be like, why did Christ need the Spirit? He's God after all, isn't he? Why did he need the Spirit? Because he's still a man. He's still a man. And remember when Christ came to the earth, we know in Philippians chapter 2, that when Christ came to the earth, he emptied himself. He set his deity to the side. He still possessed it, but he didn't use it. He came as a man and he was empowered by this Holy Spirit given to him by God the Father. He still held on to his deity Because he's always God. He never stopped being God. But he didn't use his power and his his glory. He did at one time reveal himself on the mountainside. He did at one time reveal his glory. We know that famous story. And he also, when he uh, picked his disciples, when he came to Nathaniel, he said, I saw you. And Nathaniel was probably perplexed at how in the world did you see me before you actually were in my presence. (laughs) So clearly he still was deity, but he didn't hold on to his deity. Well, John the Baptist also was given the spirit. We know that when the angel came to Zacharias, that he announced to John the Baptist that your son will have the spirit. 
Here's what the angel said. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. So John the Baptist had the Spirit in a very special way before the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost for all believers to have the Spirit. He had the Spirit in a special way. But not fully, not without measure, like Christ had the Spirit. John is different than Christ. He acknowledges that Christ is supreme. Verse 35, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John says all things are in Christ's hands. God has given all things into his hands. Why did God give Christ all things into his hands? Because Christ is the mediator. He's the mediator of the covenant. Christ is the one who's died on the cross for our sins. There's only one way to heaven, Christ says about himself. No one goes to the Father but through me, he says. He's the mediator of the covenant. God has given him all control over everyone who comes to heaven. Everyone. We all have broken God's law. Christ has paid the penalty for the sins of those who believe. No one is righteous, Romans 3.10 says. No one. Romans 6.23 says the penalty for sin is death. So if no one is righteous and the penalty for sins is death, what is the answer? Romans 8 gives the answer. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why all things have been given into his hands. He is the mediator of the covenant. Christ is the one we must go to to be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator, also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. The man Christ Jesus. John the Baptist recognized that because when he pointed to Christ, he says he's the one who will save those from their sins. He's the one. And then it says here, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. Eternal life. We're talking about the people who receive the testimony. Those who receive the good news of Christ Jesus, the gospel. They have eternal life. He doesn't say they will have. It says here, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. You have it now. It's guaranteed to you. Never doubt your faith. You have eternal life. Why? Because you've received the testimony of Christ. You've believed in Christ, the mediator. You have eternal life now. That's why Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Currently, you have eternal life. Well, the opposite is the next section. It says, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, will not see life. These are unbelievers. You notice that it says, do not obey. Do not obey. They're unbelievers. They do not obey the word of God as opposed to those who receive the testimony and they obey God's words. They're in opposition to those. 
What do they receive? Wrath. Wrath. God's wrath. His passion against us. Wrath. And we all know the famous John 3.16. For God so loved the world. And let's read that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But then it says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He, he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. There's a big difference between those who believe and those who do not believe. There's an answer. The answer is eternal life now for those who do believe. And wrath. For those who do not. There's unity with the Father and the Son and all other saints that have ever died before us. For those who believe. And there's separation from God for those who do not. It's interesting that John the Baptist finishes his talk with his disciples. With the gospel message. Because they missed the point. He's saying focus on Christ. Focus on Christ. He's saying he's the supreme one. And remember earlier I said, remember, ask yourself, why is Christ supreme? Well, we've just gone over that. Just a recap. Why? Why is Christ supreme? He's from heaven. (laughs) He's above all. His testimony is firsthand account. He speaks the words of God. He's sent from God. God gave him the spirit without measure. The father gave all things into his hands. He gives eternal life. That's why he's supreme. He is God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We come to you humbly, recognizing, but we are just of dirt. But you are God. Your son came humbly in a manger. He walked the earth as a man. People despised him. He had the death of a common criminal on a cross, a torture before the cross. But he has arisen indeed. And he reigns on the right side of your throne, Lord, because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen.